Welcome to Jewish Boy Calls His Mother. I'm your host, Sadia. This is Mother Ima, and let's get started. So, Ima, how was it yesterday? How was everything at Simcha's Place? In well, it was... Uh... Uh, it was a, it was amazing. It was like it was like you think Mashiach had already come, and the base of Mikdash was down the street. It was Jews from all over the world. Um, things got underway around, I would say, about eight nine o'clock. So that's when the music started playing. The band started playing, and um, there, um, there was like you know all sorts of concession stands with uh, artwork and. Uh, um, have uh, popcorn and cotton candy and soda and uh, it was just nice like having all that music playing and seeing so many people from from all from all the way around the world and it's amazing the people I ran into I ran into the cousin of uh, a family that I'm giving piano lessons to in Florida oh, wow. um, I ran into a couple of teachers that are from the school where I work and uh I ran into some old friends that I hadn't seen in years. Yeah, I like Kern Heights. I like the Mashiach energy they bring, especially to like gatherings like Sukkot. You know, and it's it's funny because you know it's just it's so wild when you're there, and I think of just like this Sukkot. I don't know about last Sukkot or before, but like this Sukkot, I really feel like I'm like. I miss going to Crown Heights. I miss like Cholamoid being Cholamoid because uh, you know it is like when once you start working, you've got to start working. You know, luckily Tati was lucky enough to take time off for Cholamoid. Did he always take Cholamoid off, or was it always, or was it like ever so often he was able to? No, he always he always took Cholamoid off. Always took Cholamoid. How did he do manage that when he like he just started a job or when he just started the state? He was like, I'm gone for a week. He oh, he did it. Jeez, because I, I I keep on thinking about that now. Like I mm -hmm. like maybe in a year or two I can maybe push it and be like, okay, let's go ahead and do Cholamoid. <laughs> but I just don't see how it's like viable. But like he really because you know, I I because I spoke with Ruthie and I spoke to a few other people where it's like their father was like working during Cholamoid. So they maybe went to Hershey Park for one day, but they really just stayed home. They didn't do that much, you know. Mm -hmm. But I see it now also with uh, the Chabad community here in Baltimore, where it's like, no, they just take off for Cholamoid and they get to spend time with their kids and go on trips. And what's great is it's in the middle of a week in September, so no one's waiting in line, you know? Because um, <laughs> I was thinking of, uh, of when, when we went to Sugarloaf Mountain as kids uh, uh -huh. for a few trips. And I, I remember that hike very well. But the thing is, <laughs> I, I went recently. I went, I went in the summer. Yeah. And because, uh -huh. like... The only time I time I have off is the same time everyone else has off. And like parking was crazy. It was constantly crowded. It wasn't the like way that I remember it where it's like you had some time alone. You got to enjoy yourself. You know, that's well, sugar. Sugarloaf Mountain. I remember that trip. What happened was um, all of you scrambled ahead and you started going up this rocky incline it had to be at least a 30 degree incline, at least. Yes. It was almost like rock climbing straight up, like 90 degrees. And I had Strini with me. Strini was a baby. And I was carrying her. And I said, hey, I said, I've got the baby. So one of you or a couple of you came down, you took Strini from me, it was a baby, and you all continued to scramble up the mountain. 
So I figured, okay, it's one of these hikes where you go with a little bit up the side of this mountain and it breaks into a regular trail. And I'm climbing and I'm climbing and I'm climbing and it's going 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And I noticed on the trees, there were these red painted markings on the trees. And I didn't know what that meant. I found out later. So finally, I get to the top of the mountain that had to take, I think it was like 15, min 15 minutes later, maybe an hour later. And you know, every few minutes, I'm having to sit down and rest on a rock and then continue my climbing. I get up there and you guys are all sitting on this huge boulder with your father standing in front of you with a with a, a camera and waiting for me so you can take the picture and I find you see me you see my head coming my face like coming up the side of the mountain there and you all start applauding yeah and so I finally is like come on join us for the picture so I joined you off for the picture later on we took another trail that actually was a regular hiking trail that went around and down was a little more tame so I came across this woman who was walking her dog there and we got a little lost. I was asking her for directions. So she said she lives around there and she comes here every day to walk her dog. So I said, you know, I said, tell me something. Um, while I was climbing up the side of this mountain, I saw these red markings on the trees. What do they mean? Her mouth flew open. Like, I said, so, so she says to me, you went up the path with the trees with the red markings. I said, yes, she goes, that is supposed to be the hardest trail that not even I would take. Yeah. Um, it's funny. It, it, it's, it was a, it was a nice trail growing, uh, going up. Um, you know, it, it's, it's definitely a challenge. Um, but I also remember going to like this, the civil war um, spots, but when, what did you do during Cholamoid when you were like becoming from like, what did, did you take off? And if so, like, did you go on any trips? I'm trying to think mostly. Um, uh, Cholamoid took us. I was, I would usually want to go back to Baltimore and visit my family. Mm -hmm. That's what I usually did. And then um, I went to some of the, I, of course, I went to the Cholamoid events that Chabad had, the Simple Space Lashueva events that they had in Baltimore. I don't think Crown Heights did not have a big bash then. Really? That came that came much later. Like what year would you say? I'm gosh, I gotta think back. I think there were there were probably others that remember better than I do. I think they started it. I'm trying to like fairly recently. I think within the past 10 years, if I'm not mistaken. That's am I, funny. Am I wrong? You might That'd be wrong because you might be thinking 10 yeah. years, like 1990, but that's been 30 years. You know what I mean? You might be, like, it might be a whole thing of like, oh, this was only 10 years ago because 10 years ago is 2013. I'm trying to think. So there must, there must, I think it was, was it around the year 2000, maybe, that they actually started this all night bash? I know they go uh, to six o'clock in the morning. They probably always have done it. It just was never vocalized. And I think because of the internet being more popularized, it got more, mm -hmm. you know, spotlight on it, if you know what I mean. Um, well, I liked, the last one we went to, I liked very much. There was all, I don't know, there was a whole variety of entertainers. This year, when we went um, last night, 
Yeah. This was Peso Chueva. There was only one guy that was playing. Did you come super early, like before nine o'clock? We came at nine o'clock. We were at nine o'clock. Yeah. So you like, came so, just at the beginning. That's probably uh, why I was so born. Later on. Uh -huh, later yeah. You come in at 12 o'clock midnight. Mm -hmm. It's definitely bumping. Um, uh -huh. I went there. I went to some space back in the day. Um, only one or two times. I didn't go that much because, you know, I was always wanting to spend time with the family. I always felt that was the most important thing was mm -hmm. to spend time with the family. So I never did this idea of like, oh, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm just going to go run off to Crown Heights with my friends. Like, mm -hmm. I never I never did that. Um, I always felt the family was important and being with the family was important. Um, looking back and seeing nowadays, I think, I don't know, just spend time with your friends. Who cares? Like, it doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, at the time, I was very I was very specific on making sure I spent time with the family. So I never really went off, maybe probably in my in my early 20s. So when they, maybe when I came back from Israel or, or even like between those years, I went to I went to Crown Heights maybe once or twice. Um, well, do you do you remember when the whole simple space Shoeva started in Crown Heights? Do you I think honestly. Was when, oh, wait a second, I think was that when Etty was in high school? Ima, you're talking again. You're talking about the '90s. You're talking about the yeah. '90s. We're back to what I said before: is that yeah. you're you're thinking ten years ago, but it was like 30, 40 years ago. You're right. Yeah, that was 30, 40. So they probably always had it, but when you were mm -hmm. in Crown Heights, when you were in in this in the '70s, it was you know, New York in the seventies. So it was a little different temperament. And that's mm -hmm. why people weren't so keen on staying out late at night. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but um, I remember um, Simple Stowe, you know the story about Simple Stowe with your, before your father and I actually started dating when we were, the first year that I came back from Crown Heights. I don't remember year. this, but I'll let you know if, 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 the, if the, I do. The vodka story. <laughs> no, I don't remember this. Okay, here's what happened. They, um, Chabad sent out flyers. They wanted to have this big Simple Torah celebration. This is when um, the show was on Trainer Avenue across the street from the JCC. Okay. And so they sent out these flyers. So all these people came and they were standing. They were at the, um, uh, they were all ha hanging around the um, JCC parking lot. You know, people, you know, we had, like a lot of non-religious Jews from all different areas of Baltimore came in to see this. They got the flyers and nothing was happening and no one was doing anything to get the ball rolling, to get the evening yeah. started. So I see this whole crowd across the street there and I have an idea and I grab a sheet cake, a big sheet cake that was on the table in the show. And as I'm running out with it, I hear, I think it was five will get yell, Zalka, come back with that sheet cake. I run out the door. I set it up on a table and I grab your father. I said, we got to do something. We got to bring these people over. I said, you're going to make Kiddush. And he says, I can't find any wine. All I can find is vodka. I said, you can make Kiddush on vodka. Come on. Uh, your father and I, we just knew each other from, you know, because we grew up together in the same neighborhood. So we were friends. But we weren't dating them. We were just. Oh, wow. Know, this is before you guys even dated. Okay. That's right. Yeah. We were just, we we're just like casual friends. Okay. So he, he always says to me, I should have known then. <laughs> <laughs> so he grabs the bottle of vodka and he grabs a cup and I run across the street to where all the people are milling. And I said, okay, everybody come here. We're going to all go to across the street to the show and we're going to all hear kiddish together and dance. And so I come to lead the people across the street and there's traffic on park heights. So somebody, I forgot who it was, says to me, Zaka, just go in the middle of the street and stop traffic. 
I go out in the middle of the street, I hold up my hand, I stop the traffic. And I start directing all these people across the street. And they're walking across the street to where the cake and the, is set up at the table there, you know, and they're going across the street. When like the last person was across the street, I see the police come up and pull to the side. And, oh, no. and I just run the last person. So then we go, I go over to the table and I say, now this man, this young man is going to make Kiddush on, it's going to make Kiddush. And when you hear the end of the brooklyn, you all say, Amen. So your father made the Kiddush on vodka. And I, and I looked, I said, I did up to everybody, Amen. They'll go, Amen. And then I, um, the, then everybody started, I started directing everybody into the show. And then the dancing started and the singing. And I'm walking around the show with this big sheet cake and offering people pieces of, you know, cake because they're coming in, that type of thing. Well, your father told me later on, he said he got so sick and was passed out from making kiddush on the vodka. Oh, gosh. it's I, I Honestly, I very rarely saw Tati drink and only saw him drunk once or twice in my life. I he think, was a lot of fun when he was drunk. I, I've more, heard. More I've fun heard. than when he was sober. <laughs> yeah, I, I, he finally would let loose. Um, but he was just, he was always just up, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... That's funny you mentioned that. So what about, what was your first Simchas Torah like? What was your understanding of Simchas Torah? Because I know we talked beforehand about like, you know, you would go to the synagogue and you would have the apple with the, with the flag, yada, yada. But now mm -hmm. it's like when in your, I would say you're 23, 24, um, becoming mm -hmm. from in 73. So like you're getting a Lubavitch old school experience of Simchas Torah. Like, what was that like? Mm -hmm. Um. It was it was really nice. It was it was very like you know the dancing and the singing. I understand from other groups, from other people from other groups that um, other groups are not as labidic as as Chabad. No, they don't. That yeah, they're not. They're very they're big on reserved. not drinking. Actually, they're more reserved. Yeah. And there's there's one rabbi last year um, that was very upset hearing people were drinking on Simchas Torah. He was very upset doing this whole massive speech. I think I talked about it on a podcast last year. But like he was very mm -hmm. upset, and I was shocked because I was like, "What? What are you talking about?" Then I then I realized I started speaking to other people that weren't Lubavitch, and they're like, "Yeah, you're not mm -hmm. supposed to drink on some pastora. You're not supposed to drink at all." Blah blah blah. I'm like, Oof. "For the whole <laughs> thing, well, well, you know, they do that. The some the men do the somersaults. That's interesting. The men the, right what to watch the men do the somersaults, yeah. and the whole idea of the somersaults, you know, is um by the men picking up your it's like your legs going over your head. In other words, we're enjoying the Torah. The, this is total." Simple story is supposed to be total emotion over intellect. Yeah, but that's that's Hasidic. That's Hasidic philosophy in the first place. Yeah. It's why the Hasidic philosophy was so what was so much different than the standard Litvish, you know, yeshivish mentality of the time, because there was an elitism regarding, you know, being the best in Gemara and Halacha, and that a lot of people that were pushed to Yidin who couldn't comprehend or weren't able to comprehend so many aspects that they were finally told that it's all right. They're, they're Jewish enough. You know, they were told they're Jewish enough with just their own emotions, caring for Judaism. Like those, all those stories you would hear about these like simple Jews or the Jews that were, were, were taken into the Russian army when they were younger and they go into mm -hmm. the synagogue and they just, all they knew was Aleph Bayes because they, because they were so deprived of Judaism. And that Aleph Bayes was like so amazing and that it helped like the Yidden of the town. You know, mm -hmm. that's that's what's what's yes. so important. Um, I because in my, my mind, my energy was more like I remember as a kid, you know, Simchas Torah. I I love I always love Simchas Torah. It's my one of my favorite Yom Taifim. Um, 
I remember like a couple years when I was in high school, no, not high school. I would say like late, late high school, early, early twenties. There were some times where like, like the, it got a little out of hand or there was a lot of like non Lubavitch people trying to go into, in, in, into our shul just to drink because mm-hmm. in Lubavitch we drink, but that's, not that. the, that's not the point of Simchas mm-hmm. Torah, but like drinking helps us enjoy Simchas Torah. But a lot of non-Lubavitchers don't get that. And they're like, oh, you Lubavitchers drink. And then they just drink, 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 drink. And we're like, whoa, whoa, pace yourself, first off. Second off, be careful with why you're drinking and how you could elevate yourself through the drinking. Like, it's a whole emotional Hasidic like, process when you're drinking alcohol in Lubavitch. And, like, people don't get that. They think it's just, oh, I'm just trying to get drunk. Like, no, that's not what you're doing. But they had that issue. And they banned alcohol for a while where they just didn't give it out. Or, like, you had to know somebody. And that kind of upset me at the time because I felt that they were, it was it was getting more lame in, in, to, to put it into teenage words. So I brought a bottle of vodka and I gave out Lachaims. Um mm-hmm. But I mean, it's I don't know. It's it it, it comes in waves. We're like sometimes it's crazy, sometimes it's lame, sometimes it's not. Like it comes and goes, and that's fine. Um, you know. Uh, that's just, I, and, and that's why I was curious enough because, like, I wanted to see maybe did you compare it to college experience with alcohol, or did you experience it <laughs> with like, you know, like, oh, this is new, or was it like, what exactly? Like, I'm trying to capture the first moments of you entering Base Lubavitch or entering 770 with people offering alcohol, and you're in a synagogue, and you're like, wait a second, what's going on here? Like, did you have anything like that, or was um, it just? No, I, I was. Um, I didn't even. Um... Alcohol in my family was treated very casually. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a big deal wasn't made of it. You want to you want to take a sip of vodka? Go ahead. You know your funeral. <laughs> you know. And I remember when I was thirteen, um, uh, it was my we. I didn't realize that girls were actually bas mitzvah for the twelve. I attended a synagogue where I guess we were trying to make the boys and girls kind of equal. So a girl was the the bas mitzvah ceremony was done. When uh, when we were th- actually thirteen in seventh grade, and um, so I was having my mother had a nice bas mitzvah party for me with the you know with an open house with family and friends and cousins, and so I figured hey you know I'm uh, thirteen and um, I'm I could I, I should try some um, alcohol some and so I decided to take a shot of vodka you know and I took a taste of it and went. Bleh! <laughs> Mercy, ooh, <laughs> and um, so it was. Um, I I didn't think anything about you know. I knew that I knew that Jews drank, and I you know that was there was not that. I think my parents weren't big drinkers. I mean, my father occasionally would have a glass of wine. Um, whenever we had like a family simcha, my my parents would buy whiskey and vodka and have it out for the you know for the adults whoever to take and um. You know, it was just it was just kind of there, and so I, did, I didn't really think anything of it. I mean, I think I like that approach because I saw a lot of families that would make a big deal about it in a way where it's like, "Don't touch it; it's gonna be terrible." Blah blah blah. And I I always I always saw that with my teenage as a teenager with my friends, like mm-hmm. just going downhill. Um, you know, you there had people that just would, you know not make sure that they don't ever touch alcohol because you know it's you're not and others would want to because they were told not to 
And there's also I... something too. There's an idea that um, people need to develop a certain level of alcohol tolerance. So if you say, "Oh no, alcohol, not a drop of it until you're 21," you're not going to have any alcohol tolerance. That's where you get these stories about some of these kids never on campuses that you know came from these very strict like uh, Christian backgrounds where they were they were told never to touch any alcohol and they get to college and they totally drink themselves to toxicity and there've been some tragic really really tragic sad stories like that. Um, you kids, my attitude towards you and alcohol would probably get me arrested. Uh, um, when you kids would ask me, hey, can I have a sip? I would say, sure, go ahead, but don't overdo it. And you know, you always have the same reaction. You would take a sip and go, go what's the big deal? This is tastes horrible. But um, did you have like a favorite drink in college? That's a good question. Um, favorite drink, a favorite drink, favorite drink. Um, I, um, I always like sweet wine. Sweet wine was your go-to? Like a nice, like... Yeah. Semi-sweet yeah. well, semi or sweet? Sweet. Um, actually, when I was in college, there was um, this was a period of time where they came out with all these real dirt cheap wines. Um, I didn't know from kosher wines, by the way. All I knew from yeah, kosher yeah, yeah. wine. In those days, the only kosher wine you had was the uh, Mug and David or you know, Manischewitz Heavy Sacramental, which tasted like yeah it's like syrup just like syrup yeah they got all like was horrible and the the nicer wines came out as you say 1980s when you had the genese genese and the baron herzog and all these wonderful wines that came out i think i think it was more like the um oh it had to be like the 80 the the late 70s early 80s that they came out finally with this um but I'm um, so aunt judy especially we became fans of these real cheap i'm when you talk about cheap you're talking about as cheap as soda pop. Oh, wow. Did you not? That's how cheap these wines were. And they had a slight alcohol content, but it wasn't that much. And, you know, they became very popular at the time. Did, so I, I guess because I was I was going to add to what you were talking about previously when it came to, mm -hmm. um, you know, binge drinking, because there was a few articles I read when I was a teenager that in Europe, they don't have binge drinking. Because the legal age to drink is 18. Mm -hmm. And people usually start drinking it by 16. And like they get exposed to at such an early stage. Like I think in, in France, it's like you're allowed to, it, like as long as your parents give you the alcohol, it's okay. Something like France, that. I don't know. Yeah, France exactly has always been like France has always been like very, very lenient towards alcohol among among their um Youth. In fact, uh, I don't know. There was there were talks about. Um, I remember at one point there was an article written that many doctors were concerned that the French were too lenient about alcohol, and that you had little kids that yeah. were actually guzzling with you know very with the result being you know learning disabilities being attributed to you know actually guzzling alcohol at too young of an age. What was and it there like? Were, um, there were talks about, um, there were talks at the time about the French government considering restrictions mm -hmm. on alcohol consumption because of it. What was it like drinking with your friends in your during college years, and like how that moved to drinking with your friends when you were a Balshiva in, you know, in the Lubavitch world? Well, by the time I was uh, in the in the Lubavitch world, I was way I was kind of past my college years. I was like. 20, 20, 23 years old, you know, 22, 23 years old. 
Um, college, well, you know how college kids are. You know, the alcohol's there and there's music playing and there's, you know. Um, my Actually, my first, um, I used to, I mean, I used to be invited to college parties like like Hopkins. The mm -hmm. funny thing was that the, um, the, a lot of the Hopkins boys liked inviting the Towson girls to their party. And that, in those days, undergrad Hopkins was only available to men. Okay. Yeah. Girls, I think when I was in my third year of college was when they opened it up to girls. And I remember hearing this one boy from Hopkins saying to me, oh, he says, I'm not going to date any of those girls that they're going to bring here. I said, why not? He says, can you imagine what kind of girls are going to be able to be accepted here? I don't want to date any of those guys. <laughs> so I'm going, huh? <laughs> and um, so um, I remember these Hopkins boys coming on campus with a, with a car and they wanted the thousand girls to go to some big bash that they were having at at Hopkins and one of the Hopkins boys told me that the reason that they went out of their way to invite the Towson girls is that they found the Goucher girls which is you know like the sister college you might say and the, the other Ivy League college um opposed you know like juxtaposed to Hopkins was Goucher he said they felt the Goucher girls were too spoiled mm. you know Goucher being like a very upper crust uh one of the seven sisters you know and a, a female Ivy League college they liked the Towson girls because we were a little more humble, you might say, <laughs> down to earth. <laughs> I understand that. Lower, lower socioeconomic us. I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. If your daddy is rich, take a wrap for a meal. All right. Um, I never liked that song. Oh, I, I hated that song. I oh, I hated that song. <laughs> I, my, dad, my dad was poor. What I do know. you mean that her daddy's poor? Do as you feel. What do you do as you feel? What are you talking You know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, you, you told me many stories. That's why I sang it. Um, so I guess, what are you, what are your plans for some class tar? We're going to be not sure yet. We're, we're still, um, I don't know. We're still, we're still, um, discussing them, whether I should, um, when I should go, uh, to one place or go to another. So we're kind of in the discussion now, yeah. but, um, what we're doing. Oh, did I tell you the funny, we, did we discuss like pre circus preparations? Oh, no, go right ahead. Talk about yeah. it. Do you remember what I was? What happened was it was before Circus, and remember you needed the duct tape, and yes. I needed the rope. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that was so funny. I went to Lowe's, and I go over to one of the sales, one of the clerks there, and I said, "Excuse me, I need to buy duct tape and fifty yards of rope," and he gives me this look. And I go, please. I said, I'm really not planning to kidnap anybody. I really do need the duct tape and the rope for a structure. And he looks at me like, okay. Well, that, that's why I think it's kind of funny when I went to Home Depot and they had like a whole sukkah made and it was a whole like happy sukkahs, you know where to get your supplies. You know, they had all like the, like the tarp and the rope and everything else and the lattice, all that stuff like just set up there for anyone to just quickly like get a hold of and not have to sift through. I thought that was That's really nice. Terrific. Yeah, that was really sweet. I thought it was really sweet. sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember. I remember a couple a couple times in the past where we needed something from the sukkah and me driving crazy like Arab sukkahs over to Home Depot. I come in there and oh my god, you see all these from Yidden and Home Depot like running around with boards and <laughs> with boards and whatever they need, all sorts of construction stuff. Yeah, I love it. On Sukkot's Torah is the official, not Sukkot's Torah, on Sukkot's, Arab Sukkot's is like the time where every Jew uh, becomes a carpenter. <laughs> they start figuring things out. Um, yeah, I, I, I had to go into Home, uh, Home Depot a couple of times 
um, Arab circus to get some more supplies and clarify. Well, well I remember one of the Khangamoy trips we went on, that most of our Khangamoy trips, since it was fall, were mostly like, like you said, historical sites and hiking and your father being um, an employee of the Maryland State Highways Association. It was his job to know every highway and byway and side road, you name it, he knew it. So he knew how to get to like all these, you know, and I remember there was one year, so we had a picnic in the woods with our van. And the way that we built the sukkah for you boys was we opened up the back to the back doors of our um, van. It was, it was two, basically it was one of these um, doors, but it was two doors together and you open them up. So, you, know, you can open them up. So we opened up the two back doors. We got tree branches. We laid them across the two back doors that were open and da, da, they were just like, <laughs> yeah, I was actually talking about to that, about that uh, to someone today, but I was also thinking of the, um, the, I, I was walking around Baltimore uh, and then I saw a lot of sukkahs that were being held together with a lot of string, like these wooden panel sukkahs being held together with, with some string. And I remember the sukkah that, you know, we had the wooden sukkah and it was on its last leg and it was falling <laughs> apart and we were, I, we were holding it together. And I, I had my old, one of my friends from school come to come and like, we were trying to figure out how to engineer, like hold everything, everything together. So we had all this rope and tying it down and, and like it barely held apart, held up until like the last couple of days of sukkahs until it just totally collapsed. But that's what I remember sometimes when a when a heavy wind would come through sukkahs dove had no fellas yep it's just collapsing yeah oh gosh and that's again that that's why like it was just so i was it, it, people blame me for why the sukkah collapsed and i'm like it wasn't me <laughs> it was the fact that you had pieces of wood outside not covered with any tarp exposed to the winds and 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 rain and sun for like 10 years or 15 years yes. and you expect it to be perfect. Like, no. Mm -hmm. um, I, re I remember, um, oh, I remember when Crown, my first look is in Crown Heights. That was a beautiful experience. And I was at Mahon Khan at the Sukkot of Mahon Khan and it was raining and the raindrops are going into our chicken soup with little pieces of the pine branches. <laughs> A little piece of pine branch and actually it tasted good it kind of spiced it kind of flavored it i i, I, mean, I, I ate it i thought it tasted good yeah i, I remember like... and uh, it, was, it was it was really that 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 was a very special soca circus for me um my first real real circus in crown heights i remember i never realized how far south i really was from until in the um while the after we were served the chicken i was eating by this family in crown heights and I took the jar of honey and I poured it on my chicken and started eating it. And all the New Yorkers at the table went crazy. They went, what are you doing? I go, um, I said, I'm just pouring some honey on my chicken. They go, you pour honey on chicken. Yeah. I, I don't see why you wouldn't put honey on chicken. Now I'm confused. They, New Yorkers don't do that. Yeah, that was weird. That is a very Southern thing. Southern thing, honey on chicken? Mm -hmm. it's a, I didn't realize it's a very southern thing. New Yorkers do not do not pour honey on chicken. You know, it's funny. Speaking of pouring honey, I was talking. I was at a meal um, 
uh, for Sukkot, and the person who was cutting, you know, the challah and putting in the honey, was like putting, like doing, having a whole procedure, and putting one drop of honey on each individual, and then I was like, "Can I help you for a little bit? Do you, do you need?" help and he's like sure so i'm like okay and then i just cut the whole thing up really quickly like sprayed a bunch of honey in it and start giving it out like this is taking way too long like i don't have the patience (laughs) (laughs) but yeah um i remember being a kid on sukkis where everything was so cold i remember wearing i remember wearing jackets and just bundling up I tried talking to one guy about this. He's like, oh, it's, it's, it's always the weather. It's always warm. I'm like, no, honey. <laughs> no, Sukkot was freezing back in the day. Sukkot, I would wear a jacket. I'd have to wait like till Tati made the, 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 the kiddush. And then I'd just be bundled up in my jacket and trying to eat while being like still in like a big fluffy jacket. Like it was a whole thing. Now it's like a summer day. It's not even funny. I'm with it, it, the- it depends. It it depends. Um, this Brukhashev, this Sukkot has been very warm. It's been terrifically warm. It's beautiful weather this past Sukkot. Um, but there, it depends when it falls. Sometimes, like, um, next year, Sukkot is supposed to fall, my goodness, like, right in the middle of October. Oh, Middle yeah. end of October, yeah. So, um, most, um, I would be very... I would be very, very surprised if next Sukkot is going to be as warm as it was this Sukkot. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, but then, um, you, you never know. Sometimes, I mean, they they've had they've had warm spells in October. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, I was talking, but the interesting when you talk to people, say from like Minnesota, like the northern states or Canada, oh my gosh, they tell you stories about sitting in their Sukkot with snow coming down. Oof. Oh wow. Hey, Emo, I have a question. Do you remember Zadie getting a s rogue or a lulav? No. It was just the we rabbi were... in charge? It was. Um, I don't what the Frum families in Baltimore were doing, whether they bought Lulav and Minesrog, I don't know. I remember, though, the Hebrew teacher showing us the Lulav and the Esrog and explaining what it was all about. And I remember going to Shul and, and the junior congregation, the children's congregation, and the rabbi in charge bringing up. Um, one of the boys and having the boy demonstrate for all of us how to shake the lulav and the sook, uh, how to shake the lulav and the esrog. So it was like we saw it, but it was mostly we thought in our minds it's only for rabbis or for from people. You know, we didn't know it was that it was something that all Jews could do. Did you have like a moment when you first started get buying your own esrog and lulav? Like, how did that make you feel? That's a good question. Um, I was happy. Yeah, I don't. I don't even thought anything about it. I just, I just thought, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do, and this is what I'm going to do. You know, and it was, um, it was, um, I tell you though, it was nice. When you become from, it's nice to be able to celebrate the holidays the way they're supposed to be celebrated, and you feel more. You know, as a non-religious Jew, like going to Beth the Phyllis, seeing these things being done, being shown these things, you you feel like an outsider looking in. And when you become from and you start actually doing these things, you feel you feel like now you're really part of the community. You feel like you're where you're supposed to be. 
and you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. It's a, it's a, it's a feeling, of, okay, it's a very calming feeling that this is where, uh, this is my place, this is where I'm supposed to be. I told somebody after I became from, they asked me why I became from. And I said, you know, before I became from, it was always, yes, I'm Jewish, but, yes, I'm Jewish, but, yes, I'm Jewish, but. I said, and I, be I told them I became tired of the buts. Yeah. I said, it was nice to say, yes, I'm Jewish. And that's it to actually be and to actually be where you're supposed to be. Actually, that, I think that's what I felt. I felt like finally I'm where I'm supposed to be. Hmm. Yeah. I, that, that's, I think that's where like for me now, like I'm, I'm happy that I'm from and I'm happy that I found my place in, in Yiddishkeit and from Kite because, you know, when, when you're a teenager in the from world, it gets kind of difficult because you either have the super from people who know what they're doing or they just force themselves to like it and you can tell. And then you have the people that want to rebel and hate everything and is just and are just constant cynics, which like is very obnoxious and rude and inconsiderate. And I was just trying to find a way where I could enjoy my Judaism, enjoy my spirituality and, and Yiddishkeit without being either of those. Like I don't want to force Judaism on myself. I want to enjoy it, but I don't want to be a cynic of it and be like, oh, these rabbis, blah, blah, blah. like I don't want to have that mindset. And I think that's kind of was something that like, thank God, I feel like now I'm getting I'm getting to a place now where I really see the fruits of my labor of not being in that mindset where I, I love Sukkot. I love every day of it. I even accidentally um, sent a, a, a message in, at work saying goodbye, have a good weekend. And it was a Tuesday. And they're like, weekend i'm like oh i i, I misspoke i'm sorry because I, I i'm feeling like <laughs> sukkus like it's sukkus now i feel like i feel the yumptive mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. uh and i think that's what's so important is being able to feel what you're doing and it's just kind of sad when people don't you know? i was talking to a woman oh by the way you have one minute left okay well she was a gyorus and she was having some very very heavy challenges and one of the things she told me that kept her faith in Judaism was a rabbi once told her, don't judge the religion by the people around you who are practicing it. Yeah. And I think that's what's so important to keep that in mind is that if this is for you and don't let somebody else who claims they're from ruin it for you. You know, you can enjoy like I feel like from kite, in my opinion, is, is such a good flavor it, it, that if you take it away, it's just it's very bland and raw in a negative sense and i just i that's why i enjoy it so much um but yeah i think we're out of time but uh okay. i love you I'll, I'll see you god willing maybe during the weekend okay have a great young all right have a good young love, love you love you bye-bye bye-bye thank you for listening to jewish boy calls his mother Please comment and subscribe on our Facebook page, YouTube channel, and Instagram. I would greatly appreciate it, and my mother would too.